Hey, welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday morning service. We gather every Sunday morning in person and online uh, at 10.30 a.m. Now, in person, we are out in our field for the summer. We are enjoying the weather, the chill vibe. Everybody's bringing lawn chairs, beach blankets. We have pop-up tents for shade, and we're hanging out in the summer, enjoying the weather and worshiping Jesus. We'll be back inside our building in September. Online, we are on our website and our Facebook for the video version, and the audio-only version is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And I'll tell you that uh, looking at the analytics that the technology gives us, way more people are listening than they are watching, and that's totally cool. Uh, but if you are listening, uh, I'd love to hear from you. Send an email at adam at faithonhill.com. If you are on our website or our Facebook and you're watching the video, say hello in the chat. If you're on Facebook, feel free to share the video and spread the teaching of the Word of God and the proclamation of the gospel. As far as things going on around the church, um, there's been work being done on our building. So if you haven't been uh, to our uh, facility recently, uh, the bathrooms have been being remodeled in the Fellowship Hall area. Uh, we're still working. If you don't know, there was some damage to the front of our building, and uh, we're still working on that being done. So pray that uh, apparently some of the issue right now is sourcing materials. So just pray that our contractors can get everything that they need to move forward with that. Uh, we are still taking food donations for the Wichita Family Center. And so if you aren't coming but regularly on Sunday mornings, but you'd like to contribute, you can message me and we can set up a time for you to, to bring some stuff by. If you have your Bible, open to the book of 1 John chapter 5 as we continue our study in Christian living. And afterwards, we will respond together in a time of prayer and communion. I want to let you that know that now uh, so that you are ready, whether you have grape juice and some crackers at home, or you just have water and a tortilla, or you have, uh, you know, or you, you know, you actually, so I'll, I'll do it the old-fashioned way and I'll use wine and, and bread. You do whatever uh, you are good with and comfortable with. We know that these things are just symbols, but I wanted to give you a heads up. Hey, I can pause this video and I can go and I can get the things I need to take communion together. All right, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Well, if you have a Bible, we are in the book of 1 John, chapter 5. We just have a few weeks left in our study of the book of 1 John. And we're talking about Christian living. And today we want to talk about true faith. You cannot live as a Christian without true faith. Oh, you can try and you will fail. But with true faith, we can live the Christian life. Let's read together. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Remember, Christ is not his last name. It's his title. Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. That's exciting news. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. 
This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. This is God's Word. And I pray that God would give us the grace to understand it, and the humility to receive it, and the power to live by what we have received. We are Jesus' people. Everyone who believes, verse 1, that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. We are Jesus' people. Now, you might recognize that term, Jesus' people. My parents' generation got called that. If you were a born-again Christian in the 70s and 80s, you were kind of known as the Jesus people movement. Jesus is the dividing line between a Christian and a churchgoer. And if there was a title or a catchphrase or something that we could bring back from the past, Jesus people would be a great one. Are you one of those are you one of those Christians? I am a Jesus person. I am all about Jesus. Jesus is the dividing line between the Christian and the churchgoer. There have been times where the church has been more of a cultural institution than the true expression of the people of God. And in those times, the question has happened, how do you define who a true Christian is versus just a church goer. Jesus people are people who are all about Jesus. He's the dividing line. What do I mean by that? There are a lot of people who love church. That's actually really surprising because the narrative, the story that people tell about church in 2021 in America is that it's declining. People don't really care about it. People don't like it. I would say that's actually not the whole story. I know a lot of people who actually really enjoy a good church service. I know people who don't believe in God or who don't believe in the Bible or what it teaches or believe that it's something for a different time. And at the same time, they grew up in church and they like church. They don't want to go every Sunday, but you know what? When they go, they enjoy it. They like a good positive message. They like to sing the songs that they, they used to sing. Um, I, have, I have been with people who haven't been to church in years and they show up and, you know, the church is singing some new songs because it's been a few or 10 years since they've been. But then that church sings like that one old song that they used to sing back in the day. And they're like, oh, and you can hear them sing out and they really enjoy it. There's something comforting about it. Uh, somebody has said that my generation, 80s kids, are the nostalgia generation. And it's kind of true. We love nostalgia. And if you're a Christian who, or, or sorry, if you were a churchgoer who was raised in the church in a certain era, there is a nostalgia that you have. Even today, there are people who go to church. And if you say, well, here's what our faith actually teaches. Oh, I don't believe that. Here's, here's what Jesus actually said. I don't think that's true. So what's, how do you know if somebody's just a good, like a moral person, a nice person, a churchgoing person, and a true believer? What's true faith look like? Jesus people. In fact, I've said this before. I will say it again and again and again and again. If you come to church, whether it's Faith on Hill or any other church, if you come to church for any reason besides Jesus, you will be disappointed. You will be let down because that's what the church is all about. When people go to church looking for a social club, 
It might work for a while, but it's full of people, so you'll be let down. If you go to church looking to network, there's better places to do it. People come to church for different reasons. They're looking for different things. At any time that I have come to church, even as a pastor, but I've come to church and I have in my heart been looking for something other than Jesus, I have been disappointed. But when I come looking for Jesus, he has never let me down. I believe the same is true about trying to live as a Christian. Trying to do the things that we've talked about as we've been studying the book of 1 John and we're talking about Christian living. I'm trying to do those things apart from Jesus. I am going to be miserable. Christian living without Jesus will only lead you to religious misery because you'll never be good enough. You'll never have the strength to do it all. You'll try and you'll fail. I've talked to so many people who have tried to live according to Christian ethics or morals, and then they just say, I couldn't do it. And you're right, you couldn't apart from Jesus. Can I suggest, like I suggested last week, that virtue and morality is not really the goal of Christianity? Jesus is the goal. So instead of trying to live a more virtuous life, a more moral life, I want to live and learn and know and be filled with Jesus. And as God is working in my life, I do believe there should be some byproducts, that that there should be some change and some victory, absolutely. But it's not the goal, it's the byproduct. Can church be a place of community? Yes. Can church be a place where people connect? Absolutely. But it's a byproduct, it's not the goal. We are Jesus people. Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God is born of God. And everyone who knows the Father loves his child as well. There are people who are trying to follow God who reject Jesus. They reject God. If you do not accept Jesus, you do not accept God the Father. If you try to you know, find some experience, oh, I want to I experience that Holy Spirit power, but you don't know the Son, then there's no connection. You might have an emotional experience once and it won't do anything for you in the long run. Anyone who believes that Jesus is the Son of God is born of God. We are Jesus people. People who have true faith have faith in Jesus the Christ. And through Jesus, through Jesus, we are overcomers. It says in verse 2 that this is how we know the love that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. Jesus' people follow all of the commands of God. Now, why do I say all? Because I, I know that I don't follow all of God's commands. Does that, does that mean I'm not a Christian? No, what I mean by that is this. Religious people, the way that you be successfully religious is by narrowing or limiting what it means to follow God's commands. I have found this to be true time and time again. If you can just limit or narrow what it means to be a Christian, then you can say, oh, I'm living right before God. If you can reduce what God wants from you, then you can say, oh, then I'm good enough for God. But when Jesus came on the scene, 
he dealt with all kinds of people. And the religious people would come and they would say, hey, we're doing this and we're doing that. And Jesus is saying, yeah, you do all those things and it's good that you do. But here's a bunch of things that you're missing. Trying to be religious, you'll always fall short. But experiencing the mercy and the grace of God, it's always going to be enough. So like what Jesus would say is, hey, you guys are so careful about giving to God what is due that you'll go through your herb garden and you will cut off a tenth of the, the mint and the, and the sage and the, all of the different, the cilantro and all of the different herbs in your herb garden. You'll cut a tenth of that and then you'll take it and bring it to the temple as an offering. But then when your parents are in need, you don't take care of them. When the widow or the orphan is in distress, you say, I'm sorry, the money I would have to give to you, I've given to God already, so I can't take care of you. So what Jesus was saying was, hey, you guys say you're following the commands of God, but you have to follow all of the commands of God. You could, all of us have like a certain list of things that we consider important. I really do believe this, that God is doing a work of reckoning in his church right now. I really believe that that God is doing that. And we're seeing, some people are disheartened, and I understand why everyone would be disheartened about this, but we see well-known ministry after well-known ministry fall under scandal in the last couple years. And it's heartbreaking. And I grieve for the victims of abusers. And I grieve for those who thought that they had solid leadership in their church only to find out that the money was being mishandled or there was a, a kind of a bullying spirit or there was a, a scandal or whatever. I totally grieve for the people who are the victims. Okay, But I also believe that God is bringing a reckoning to his, his people and his church. And I'm thankful for the work that God is doing. There was a, a well-known preacher who got up after a, a, another well-known ministry had fallen under some sort of scandal. And he stood, stood up on his pulpit and he said, well, you know, because of the internet, the phonies can't hide anymore. And he said, you know, you watch. The truth comes and they circle the wagons. And then the next week, something broke about him. And they did everything that he had just criticized the phonies, quote unquote, for. His church did. They circled the wagons. They got a PR firm. And I just looked at it and I, I'm not gloating. I'm not happy. I, I'm saying, Lord, keep, keep me from falling. But I believe God is doing a work in his church. And because I believe that the church in America has in different parts and in different ways limited what God's commands are. I believe that God wants holiness from his people. I believe that God wants his people to not live in immorality. And I believe that there are parts of the church who have said, you know what, we don't condone, uh, we don't condone uh, the gay lifestyle. We don't condone any of that. And they've condoned heterosexual sin in the church. I talked to a pastor a while back and he said, I don't know if I have done a wedding for a young couple in at least 10 years who haven't been 
sinning sexually before marriage. Now we could say, oh, isn't it horrible all of these churches that are quote-unquote compromising, they're affirming uh, gay sin, but the church by and large has been kind of silent on heterosexual sin. I know churches that make a big deal about how we live and we follow the commands of God and we take care of the poor and we send money to do all kinds of work overseas, but taking care of the poor in our own community, we don't care about, seemingly. I, I know of churches that would say we need to stand for righteousness. And, and this is not just anecdotal. I've been there. I've been in a meeting where someone was allowed to say horribly racist things and nobody called them on it. And, and when I'm like, wait, 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 wait a minute, what's going on here? I was told, no, he's, he's just, he just is voicing a view. I didn't last long at that church, by the way. I'm, I'm saying this because it's easy for us to like pick and choose the things that we care about. But here in verse 2, John says, we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. He doesn't say just the ones we like, just the ones we find easy. All of them. And so all of us need to have the humility to submit ourselves to the word of God. I'm going to tell you that nobody, nobody likes to do that because all of us have things in the Bible that we have a hard time submitting to. But Jesus' people do that. We submit ourselves to the whole word of God. We keep his commands. And keeping God's command is the love of God. If we say, hey, I want to live in the love of God, it's keeping his commands. All of them. Then John says something interesting. He says in verse 3, this is love for God. To keep his commands and his commands are not burdensome. I think it's okay to question the scripture. I know that might seem shocking for a pastor to say, but I think it's okay to come across something in the Bible and say, really? Is that true? Now, I just said that all of the scripture is true and all of us need to submit to it, but just because we aren't, we are having an attitude or a posture that says, I need to submit to the whole word of God, it doesn't mean that we can't question and we can't work through and we can't process what these things mean. Now, John says something interesting. He says the commands of God are not burdensome. And I'll tell you, I bumped on that. I'm, walk with me here. I'm willing to say that the commands of God might be burdensome at first. Here's why I'm saying that. And, and give me the benefit of the doubt as I walk through this. Am I saying that John is wrong or that the Bible is wrong or that, that, that here, you know, the Bible is mistaken? No. But you know what? When we read the Bible, one of the key things to understanding the Bible is to look at it and say, okay, this is the Bible, but the Bible isn't one book. It's a collection of 66 books written by over 40 authors over a 1,500-year period, and they were dealing with different situations in different eras and different cultures. And so one of the things that you ask when you're trying to understand what a particular part of the Bible is saying is, who was the original audience? Meaning, who was being written to? Was it being written to uh, a Jewish culture? Was it being written to a, a Gentile culture? Was it being written to a very religious culture? Was it being written to a very non-religious culture or what we might call a pagan culture? In the same way that we could say, who's the original audience? I think it's also fair to say, who's the original author? 
Where are they at? What's going on? John is possibly the oldest, or definitely the oldest of the New Testament writers, just in age. And what can happen sometimes, if you've been walking with Jesus a long time, either in years that you've been a Christian or you're just getting older, is sometimes we can forget what it's like to be new and be young. I've been a Christian a long time. I know all the stories. I've I've worked through a lot of things. And you can forget what it's like to be somebody who's brand new. I think that the commands of God can be burdensome at first. And here's what I mean. Let's, Let's go with a really easy one. Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, it says in the book of Ephesians. If you are an alcoholic, if you are addicted to alcohol, it is not easy to end that addiction. And we know that. that That's a physiological thing. It is hard. Unless God does a divine work of healing, and I, I've known a handful of people who that seems to have happened for, but for the most part, for people that I've known who have substance abuse issues, there is a process of rehab and detox and the whole thing that takes time and can be very painful. Now, is it better to be sober and free of addiction or is it better to be in bondage under the burden and the shame and the weight of addiction? It's obviously better to be sober. It's obviously better to be free. But it's not always easy at first. It's not always easy at first. You know, I've talked to friends who are, you know, they, they, you know, try to quit smoking and it just takes them forever and it's painful. And then, you know what, as the years go by, it's easier and easier. But at first it was really hard. So what I think John is talking about is like a longer term view. I think he's also talking about knowing the depths from which we have been forgiven. The commands of God speak about forgiving others. It's hard to forgive. It's hard to forgive when you have been hurt deeply. It's hard to forgive when you are the victim of an abuser. It's hard to forgive when the person who wronged you will not repent. I don't know who's wronged you or how you've been wronged, but I have people in my life who have wronged me, who have not done right, who have lied about me publicly or who have... uh, behind the scenes, said one thing and done another, and there's been no repentance. It can be hard to forgive. It can feel like a burden to forgive until I remember Jesus. Remember, we're Jesus people. And when I remember Jesus and I remember how much Jesus has forgiven me, and when I remember how much grace God has shown in my life, it's harder for me to hold that grudge, it's harder and harder for me to hold that bitterness and it becomes easier and easier and less burdensome to forgive. Not because of my own strength, not because of my own virtue. Again, because the more and more Jesus is Lord in my life, then the more and more I find it easier to release these things. Now, if there's a physiological addiction, a physiological thing, then it can be hard at first. But the more and the more I live in Christ And the more and more my life is overshadowed in him, I do believe it's easier. I also think it's a fair question, are you filled with the Spirit? We talked about this a few weeks ago, but 
being filled with the Holy Spirit is a term that can come with some baggage. And maybe you have this very narrow or limited view. I'm not saying that you're narrow or limited, but just that that's been your experience. People who talk about being filled with the Spirit go to a certain kind of church and they're a certain kind of way. And I don't want any part of that stuff. But being filled with the Spirit talks about the new life that comes from Christ, the victory, the power over sin and death that comes because Jesus rose from the dead. There are people, again, who try to live the Christian life apart from Jesus and they just end up with religious misery. There are people who try to live in the overcoming power of God, but they try to do it in their own strength. The more that I'm filled with the Spirit, yes, I believe the less burdensome following God's commands comes. Am I filled with the Spirit and am I convinced of the gospel? There are things that are hard. There are things that are not as easy for me as other things. And there are things that for you, they might be easy for you and they're hard for me. And there's things that might be easy for me and they're hard for you. But the more I'm convinced of the gospel, the more I'm convinced of the goodness of God, the more I'm convinced of the depths to which Jesus has gone to forgive me and to save me, then when I come to something hard, what else am I going to do? You know, Jesus gave a hard teaching. We're going to take communion at the end of our time this morning. And Jesus gave a hard teaching about anyone who doesn't eat his body and drink his blood will have no part of him. And a bunch of people bailed because they couldn't handle that kind of hard teaching. And his disciples stayed and he said, are you going to bail too? And they said, where else are we going to go? Only you have the words of eternal life. And then they stuck around and they saw and they witnessed. And then, oh, I get it. He was talking about his death and resurrection. It's not cannibalism. He's talking about how he saved us by taking the penalty that my sin and your sin deserved. And there are things that are hard in our faith and in following Jesus. But if I stick around because I know that only Jesus has the words of eternal life, then I find out that God's ways are true and they are good. And the more that I am filled with the Spirit, the more I'm convinced of the gospel, the more I'm made aware of how much Jesus has done for me, then I start to say, okay, not my will, but your will be done, Father. Heaven forbid that I would reject the Word of God because the Word of God goes against a political point of view that I might have. Heaven forbid that I would reject the Word of God because the Word of God goes against the morality of the day. Heaven forbid that I would reject the word of God. Heaven forbid. We are Jesus people, and because of Jesus, we are overcomers. That is such good news. It really is. It is such good news. Verse 4, this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. What does that mean? Well, when he says our faith in verse 4, that's like a noun. It's a thing that has happened. It's, it's not something that's, oh, we're unsure. It's got to keep going. Faith in Jesus saves us. You don't need to keep coming back and saying, oh, I hope you still like me, God. Your faith in Jesus has saved you. But in verse 1, when he says, everyone who believes, that is active, it's happening, it's a verb, it's a present happening thing. We believed in Jesus and God counted that to us as righteousness. And we believe in Jesus actively and presently. If, if your stories of victory are all in the past, 
then there's an invitation today to have a fresh work of faith in your life through the Spirit because of the gospel. And here's the good news. This is really good news. Jesus' people are overcomers, but we did nothing but believe. Verse 5, again, the dividing line is Jesus. Verse 5, who is the one who overcomes the world? Only, only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Only. We've been watching the Olympics, and uh, my kids sure enjoy them, and we enjoy them. And I've been enjoying some of the more obscure sports last night. Uh, you know, we have the Peacock uh, streaming service, and that has like all of the deep cuts of the Olympics. Like NBC, they show the popular stuff, gymnastics, swimming. So we go on a Peacock, and we were watching like fencing and taekwondo and judo, and I've really enjoyed archery. Archery is, is surprising to me how compelling of, uh, that is on television. But as we're watching these things, and you know, they people win these medals, gold and silver and bronze. These athletes represent their nation. And imagine if this week you had a delivery and every person on your street had the same delivery and you got a gold medal and you got a silver medal and you got a bronze medal and you say, where did these come from? I didn't win these. I didn't run that race. I didn't swim those laps. I, I didn't throw that shot put like the uh, Larry Crosser from uh, from Boring Oregon who, who won the gold in the shot put. Hey, Boring Oregon, woo! But let's say that I got a gold medal for what he did. I didn't do any of that. But that is exactly what the gospel says. Jesus won the gold medal. Jesus had victory over sin and death. The ultimate victory is his. And then he has said, hey, Share in my victory. Stand on the podium with me. Come here and be part of this. We did nothing but believe. Who is the one who overcomes the world? It is the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It is the one who says, I can't do it, but Jesus did everything. And the more and more that I submit and surrender myself to that truth, the more and more I see the work of God in my life, the more and more I see overcoming and victory. There are a lot of people who go to church, a lot of people who like the idea of faith, love and hope and peace and grace. And yet, because they do not surrender themselves to Jesus, you see their lives and it's mess after mess after mess. And they say, why is that? Why am I not seeing victory? It's because Jesus is not the Lord of your life. You haven't given yourself to him. You believe that there's a God and you believe that Jesus is real, but you haven't surrendered. Jesus did all the work. There is one who came by water and blood. Now, water and blood, what does that mean? There's things, phrases, sayings, that are harder to translate than others. There's things that don't have a direct translation, but when it says he came by water, it means he was physically born. Jesus was a real human person. He was a man. He was born by water, meaning that you know the, the, the water breaks and the baby comes, and by blood. All of us have been born by water. Every single person has been born, and we, we, our, our, the, our mother's water broke, 
and there was a lot of pushing and a lot of intensity and then boom and I've seen both my sons be born and man that is intense all of us were born once have we been born anew? Have we been born again, born a second time, but this time not of water, not of human experience, not of human flesh, but born again through the blood of Jesus into the new life God offers. We were dead in our sins and now we are alive in Christ. We are saved by faith. Remember I said in, in verse five where it says, you know, faith, in verse four, excuse me, we were saved in faith, and now we are victorious in belief. It's not just that we believe, like, oh yeah, I believe in God. When it says the word believe, verse 1, when it says the word believe, verse 5, it is active, and it's happening. I don't just, yeah, I believe in that. Like, I believe the sun is going to rise. But the person who believes and then acts and gets up to see the sun rise, that's a totally different thing. Saved by faith, victorious in belief. I want to leave you with a few questions just to think about, just to ponder. I think that there maybe there'll be good discussion to have over a meal or over coffee. Maybe uh, you'll have just to pray through these things. When did I cross the Jesus line and have true faith? I think every Christian should have an answer for that. When did I have true faith? It may not be a moment. Maybe it was a season of time. You know what? Just over this period of time God was working in my life and then one day it was like I believe but every Christian should have an answer for that when did I cross the Jesus line when did I become a Jesus people when did I have true faith which commands of God feel burdensome I think it's good and healthy to talk about that hey is there a command of God that feels burdensome and Lord help that burden to be lifted help me to surrender myself to you help me to have true faith and be an overcomer in this area and finally what is a victory that you've had through Jesus that you can rejoice in and find hope in and maybe share with others? I think it's good to be reminded of the work that God is doing and to be encouraged in the victories that we see and that we have through the work of God's Spirit, through the blood and the forgiveness and the mercy of Jesus Christ as we are now made the children of God the Father. I want to invite you to stay with us for a time of communion. And if you need to hit pause to go and get the elements, the bread and the cup, that's totally fine. But let us together identify with Jesus. Let's be Jesus people together. If you have a question about anything I've said, if you need prayer because of something that's going on, you can email me, adam at faithonhill.com. Let's be Jesus people together. Well, as we've talked about true faith, one of the things that believers do is we identify physically with Jesus in his death and resurrection. Um, we practice an open communion table at Faith on Hill. We don't examine your membership or where you christened or uh, confirmed as a child. Any who wish may partake. And since you're not here with us, uh, there's an invitation to find whatever would work as a, uh, the emblems, the bread and the cup. These are just symbols. We do not believe, as some do, that they literally become the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, nor do I believe that there is something um, sacrificial or sacramental about them. I believe that these are symbols 
that we identify with our Lord. And he gave them to us on the night he was betrayed. He was sitting and eating with his closest followers. And he took a piece of bread and he broke a piece off. And then he passed that bread around and he said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. And it's this idea that they all ate from the same bread. And all of us have experienced the same grace and forgiveness and mercy and new life. And so if you are a believer, there is an invitation to take together. If you are not a believer, the scripture does warn about taking communion in an unworthy manner. What makes us worthy? Only Jesus makes us worthy. So there is an invitation to believe. If you want Jesus, if you want to have your sins forgiven, then in this moment, cry out for forgiveness and then come and take and be welcome. So Jesus did take a piece of bread and I have this flatbread wafer here. The bread that they would have had would have been bread without any yeast in it. And in the scripture, yeast is a picture of sin. And Jesus went to the cross without any sin. He was the perfect and holy sacrifice who paid the price for the sins of all people. And so we take and we eat and we remember. Lord Jesus, in this moment, we remember that you were arrested in the middle of the night and so you went to the cross exhausted, deprived of sleep. On the cross, you said you thirsted, you were dehydrated. Before the cross, you were beaten, you were abused, you were whipped. A crown of thorns was pressed into your head, your back was torn open. And there on the cross you bled, nails piercing your wrists and your feet. Finally, after your death, a sword pierced your side. Lord, we thank you for what you have done for us. And at the end of the meal, Jesus took a cup, which would have been full of wine, but we take, uh, in this case, grape juice, whatever is, is available, and we say, we remember what Jesus did. He took the cup and he drank and then he passed around. He said, take and drink. This is my blood that is shed for you. And the scripture says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. The, the penalty for sin is death. And it was Jesus's death that paid the price for the sins of the world. And so we take and we drink together and we remember Jesus's blood that was shed. He was shed for you. He died for you out of his great love for you and out of the need for justice, out of the need for justice to be paid. And he took God's justice and put it on himself and it was acceptable before God the Father. Let's drink together. Jesus, in this moment, we remember the blood that you shed. You shed your blood as it as you prayed in the garden, and it says you sweat blood, which doctors tell us is a sign of the great stress you were under, knowing what was coming. You bled for us when they hit you. You bled for us when they drove the nails through your wrists. You bled for us before that when they whipped you and they pressed a crown of thorns in your head. You bled, and your blood not just forgives us, 
It doesn't just hide our sins. It removes our sins. It cleanses us. It washes us and gives us freedom. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And those of us who are born again are born again through the blood of Jesus. And we have new life because of that. And we thank you and we rejoice and we trust and we hope in the work that you did. It's once and for all. It is finished. We remember this and we identify with you. I'm not Adam. I'm not just on my own. I'm in Christ. I've been made new. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for any who need that cleansing, that you would affirm the work that you've done on the cross for them. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. God bless you. May you know the love of God. May you know the depths of how much you've been forgiven. May you know the power that resurrected Jesus is at work in you. And we'll see you next week. And we'll see you on Thursday when we release a new episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.